Sabrina, uh, how's how's that? On the one hand, it sounds like the world is coming to an end, and on the other hand, it sounds like you know there's still money to be made somewhere. It's great to hear um, that there's still some form of a light at the end of the tunnel for a lot of us. We just got to keep you know keep supporting each other and keep working as hard as we can to get through this somehow. Well, talking about business and getting businesses started, uh, we're going to be joined by Jeff Van Staden now, who's the Chief Operating Officer of African Habitat Conservancy and Babanango Game Reserve. Morning, Alex. How are you doing there? Oh, very good, thank you. You are in the uh, in nature. You're surrounded by nature, I take it. I am. Oh, it's wonderful. a beautiful day, actually. So tell us about this, uh, this game reserve that you're getting going, I mean, especially during these wild and crazy times where we're all being told to stay at home. Well, we got going before it was crazy times, but it's uh, always been a bit of a crazy project. But we are progressing, and out here in the bush, there's not much of a lockdown happening. And I guess that's something to potentially look forward to once we kind of start venturing out there, that social distancing is kind of like a given. Yes, that's right. I mean, out here, you're very isolated, and, and there's no crowds where we are. So, Jeff, tell us, where in, where in South Africa are you situated? And, I mean, I haven't really heard of a new game reserve being created in the last, uh, gee, last few decades. Yeah, that's true. Um, we, we're located in KwaZulu-Natal, Zululand uh, proper. The northern side of the game reserve is between Malmoth and Freyhate. And the southern side of the game reserve is near a little town called Babanango. We are the first game reserve of this scale to be uh, started in probably the last 20 to 30 years. What, what is the, the timelines? I mean, when are you looking to kind of uh, be open and, and what will you be offering people once you kind of fully operational? Well, the timelines are very ambitious. Uh, the first time I came here was in September of 2017. And we have um, the goal to be fully operational as a big five game reserve by May 2022. So that is, that's five years. And, you know, when I got here, the very first time I ever came here and I met the owners of this land, which is the Nkakweni Community Trust, there was nothing here. We have built every road, we put the fences up, we are building lodges, and we have to bring on the big five. Um, So it is really, we are going from zero to hero very quickly, whereas other game reserves take many, many years or even decades to get up to the standard. And at the um, moment, are you finding it quite difficult to kind of operate? I mean, I suppose it's not easy to get uh, things moving as regulations are constantly changing. Yeah, well, there's a lot of uncertainty at the moment, that's for sure. We are actually very fortunate that we are not dependent on revenue at the stage of our project. We're very much uh, starting up. So we were able to keep most of our maintenance staff uh, on site, um, our building staff as well. Was They were off for quite a long time, but they we managed to get them back on. The only aspect of the project is that is suffering is our hospitality, of course. We can't uh, bring any guests in. What, what will the uh, uh, the project look like at the end? I mean, are you looking at having a lodge? Is there going to be a spa? Is there going to be sort of a, a game yeah. experience as well? May just take us through that. There will be four lodges. Um, we've catered for vastly different markets. Um, so we've got a three-star sort of self-catering establishment. We've got another three-star catered. We've got a four-star lodge, which is complete. That's called uh, Babananga Valley Lodge. And we're building a five-star tented camp on the Mfalozi River. Um, it's important to note that we have 24 kilometers of white Mfalozi running right through the middle of our reserve, which is a very, very unique uh, factor. 
we're also looking at a, you know offering activities of, that are a little bit out of the box. Uh, I think the days of that traditional far, safari experience where you wake up, have a game drive, rest for the rest of the day, and then have an evening game drive, those days are over. So people want more sort of immersive experiences. They want more cultural interaction. I'm not talking about contrived cultural interaction where you go to somewhere where people dance in, in traditional clothing. And uh, I can have my face we painted. We want to offer an authentic experience of Zululand as it is today. Obviously, there's a very strong history here. So we want to bring that um, into the story. We have a lot of focus on, on activities uh, which have to do with nature, but not necessarily where you just sit in a vehicle. So walking is a big part of that. Um, sleeping out under the stars is, is a part of that. And we're also looking at bringing horses in to do big five um, experiences on horseback. Uh, which is something which isn't being done in this part of the world. Well, I see here uh, some of the information you sent me uh, earlier on that uh, this used to be sort of the stomping ground of of Shaka himself, and uh, they roamed the, the uh, Babanango Hills. I mean, that seems like quite a great historical opportunity as well, in terms of having a historian take you through uh, some of these, uh, you know, some of the historical part of of, of this uh, part of the country. It absolutely is. There's there's so much history here. We've actually, it goes way back beyond uh, uh, Shaka's days. We've got rock art, Khoisan rock art paintings on the property. Um, and then you get to the, the Zulu history. Um, Imakosini or the Valley of the Kings actually starts inside our property. So yeah, there's a lot to, to be explored here. Plus we're very close to the, the battlefields region, Isadwana and Rockstrift. From a sort of community perspective, I believe you've got also a bit of a community outreach program or an integration into all of this? The, the property is comprised of three pieces of land that belong to different community trusts. And then the company uh, has also bought four farms. So we've got a very big community aspect. And we've started a, a foundation called the African Habitat Conservancy Foundation, where we look at the, re- the needs of surrounding community whether it be water or they want wanting to start farming projects or schooling or roads or whatever it is. And then we evaluate uh, those requests and where we see benefit to community, then we get involved and help them uh, realize those goals. Well, Jeffrey, I wish you all the best with uh, your plans going forward. And I guess it's also like a bit of a hurry up and wait game to see how quickly or how uh, slowly you can get this up and running. But I think once everything is up and going, I'm looking forward to uh, swinging past and uh, maybe doing one of the episodes from uh, from the hills and from, the, you know, one of the lodges. I think that could be quite fascinating. And uh, thank you so much for making the time uh, for being on. Absolute pleasure, Alex. And uh, yeah, more than welcome to come join us. Yeah, I look forward to that. That's Jeffrey van Staden, COO of African Habitat Conservancy and Babanango Game Reserve, joining us there. Sabrina, it sounds like your kind of holiday. It's right up my alley, Alex. My dad has been in the conservation game his whole life. He's got you know a game farm in the Klaseri, or a game lodge in the Klaseri Game Reserve and has actually brought me to the battlegrounds of St. Luana. It's, been, it's one of his favorite stories, and I've listened to the audiobook countless times as a little girl. That was his his way of entertaining me as a, as a young child. I, I really thoroughly enjoy history, much more sort of like the war elements of history, you know, as, as gruesome as it might be. But the one thing I haven't managed to do yet is to to actually 
yeah, and I've watched the, you know, obviously the all the different uh, documentaries and movies that have been done around uh, the Boer Wars and and the wars with uh, Shaka Zulu, and I've never had a chance to actually go down to KZN and actually make a point of actually re living some of these battlefields and doing it. And it sounds like the most fantastic holiday for somebody who's really interested in history. It's so emotional. I mean, when you stand on the, there's one like little copier I remember that's got like rocks built into a little mound. And if I remember correctly, that's where the British soldiers were standing as, you know, as the Zulu army came and was approaching them. And if you picture that, it must have been absolutely terrifying for both sides. And But when you're standing there, you can actually feel it. I mean, it's not a, it's not a big space. And you can imagine like being there, you're trying to, you're fighting for your life. So yeah, I highly recommend actually going and standing where it happened, because there's, there's something about the energy in the place where things happen that I think you can't get from just reading a book or watching a documentary. And I must say, I really like what Jeffrey was saying about some of the plans that they've got. Uh, I mean, like he says, the, the traditional sort of game lodge format up until now has been you know that early morning game drive which is really fantastic because you end up seeing a lot of game and a lot of safari uh, that early in the morning and then the four o'clock in the afternoon but what tends to happen is that you end up having such a late night the night before because there's some dinner or there's some uh, you know activity or entertainment so you get to bed quite late you have to get up early early i mean like quarter past four five o'clock in the morning you get on a game drive which is freezing by the time you get home have breakfast you're literally ready for a late morning's nap you literally sleep till lunchtime Uh, you have lunch you've got about an hour or two to try and jump in the pool or go to the spa and then it's back on the ne- on the next game drive again and then back to dinner so to to have something that's maybe a little bit different that doesn't uh, take up as much uh, time and and one of the other great experiences that I I was fortunate enough to to experience uh, was at one of the game lodges we got a, a tap on the shoulder from one of the rangers and he said listen um, I know this is a bit you know unusual but we happen to have a, a resident okay. astronomer uh, okay. uh, who, wow. who's visiting from the United States. And this uh, this gentleman was um, actually passing through. He was he just come from Botswana. He's uh, lecturing uh, in Botswana at one of the universities. And he was on his way to another university. And he kind of passed through because, for whatever reason, he had some business in the area. And he had um, volunteered to uh, do sort of a bit of a stargazing uh, experience. And little did we know that this this man is actually on the cutting edge uh, in terms of a team that he's working with that is studying the cosmos and studying the stars and studying all these things. So he, he had the latest information in terms of the, the planets they're looking for. So he pulled us all out into the middle of the bush. We had a dinner and then we switched off all the lights and then he had one of these incredible laser pointers. I mean, it looked like something out of Star Wars. And he was literally pointing out the sky and talking about you know some of the new planets that they've discovered and some of the research they're doing. And let me tell you, that was the most insane safari experience, You know, excluding animals, excluding all the usual stuff that you do. So to have something different like you know sleeping under the stars or doing something like that sounds like a really a really great idea i mean you had me at stars anybody that spent a night out in the bush where there's not a lot of you know population around there there are no stars like that anywhere else in the world i've slept outside with my dad a couple of times at his game reserve it's it's something else like the the sounds that you hear you don't have a tent to kind of give you this false sense of security for some reason you just sleep deeper even though i mean the one night we had um a leopard maybe like two or three meters from us and my dad woke me up and he's like just be quiet but you could see like still obviously your your eyes adjust to the darkness and you could see it like right there walking past you and you're like i don't know why i I feel less scared 
in the bush than I do just walking, you know, by myself in, in Cape Town. It's, it's crazy. Well, Sabrina, joining us now is Dom and Sam Maletta, owners of the refillery at Morningside Shopping Centre. And Dom, tell us a little bit more about the refillery. So the refillery is a, we're a single-use plastic-free grocery store where we encourage people to come in store, fill up with their pantry staples and whatever quantities they like. You can bring your own containers from home. We just weigh those first. Alternatively, there's recycled paper bags in store or we sell glassware as well. Um, So in case people want a nice new fresh look in their kitchen or pantry, uh, we sell all the associated containers and stuff like that to make everything look nice and pretty as well. Dom, I know your your wife Sam is on on the call as well. And Sam, I guess this is a a move towards uh, this entire thought of not having so much packaging at home once you get home you know you've bought all your groceries you've put them in a plastic bag now you bring them back then you still have to take them out of three other layers of plastic and paper before you Absolutely. even get to the actual product decant yeah the amount of packaging pointless packaging that there is 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 crazy and it just it the problem with most of it 90 percent of it is not recyclable so it ends up in the waterways in the ocean in the landfills all being burnt so everyone just assumes that it could be recycled or just throw it away, I recycle. But that's actually not, it's, it's not a great place to start, especially when it can't be. So for us, we remove the packaging completely. Um, then that kind of lends to a zero waste lifestyle, which is also part of the plastic-free living way of life. Um, and it's a global movement as well. So food waste is a huge problem in the world. And this way, you only buy what you need. So it's weigh and pay. If you need one bay leaf for a recipe, you just buy one. That's it. There's no maximum or preset amounts that you have to take. Um, And that way, you actually only use what you need for the week or the month. And instead of having a lot of money sitting in your pantry, you have more disposable cash for the week, uh, which is actually becoming more and more prominent, especially with what's going on. So, Dom, tell me, what does the store consist of? I mean, I briefly popped into uh, the store, I think it was last week, and had a look around. But what can people expect to find in your uh, selection uh, of stuff that people can buy? Yeah, for sure. So, so we cover a wide range of items. And firstly, sort of starting with your, your baking essentials. We've got just about every type of flour under the sun, uh, for example. Um, then we've got your basics of your rices, your pastas, quinoa, beans, lentils, all that sort of stuff. Um, we've also got a huge uh, sweet section, which covers everything from your standard mini Smarties, which are, which are obviously packaging free, through to uh, healthy sugar-free sort of boutique uh, vegan sweets as well. Um, we've also tried fruits and nuts, through to personal hygiene. We've got deos, body creams, oils, all sorts of things, uh, through to home cleaning products, uh, superfood sections. Organic loose leaf teas, herbs and spices, we've, we've pretty much got you covered. If it's not short of uh, fresh produce, we've got everything else covered for you. So, I mean, the world was making some incredible progress in terms of reducing single-use uh, plastics. I mean, we were, I thought, at one point on the, you know, the edge of seeing a lot of uh, things that we'd become very accustomed to in terms of single-use plastics literally disappearing, you know, people getting rid of plastic bags, uh, knives and forks, etc., and then the coronavirus hit, and suddenly that entire conversation has almost uh, taken five steps backwards to the point that we might even see things that have never needed to be wrapped, packaged, you know, 
sanitized in some way or another, uh, being sanitized, and that we might even end up having more single-use plastic now than ever before. How has that impacted your business, considering that um, it's literally uh, on the polar opposite of any single-use plastic or any sort of wrapping or any sort of packaging? Yeah, so look, we've got our our suppliers who we work very closely with. Uh, they obviously have uh, very strict health and hygiene requirements and protocols to go through from their side. Um, we also have our own systems in place as well that uh, once our stock is received, that it's also cleaned and, and sanitized as well. Um, and then in store, we have a constant cleaning and sanitation process that takes place to the point where any customer as well that obviously comes into the store is also sanitized. All the scoops, the bins, everything is constantly cleaned and sanitized. At, the, at this stage, given given the, the procedures that we've put in place and that our suppliers have put in place, we can we can do our best to guarantee that uh, that that everything is as clean and sterilized as as humanly possible. Yes, you're you're 100 correct in saying that uh, the conversation has has basically stopped in light of COVID 19. But I think a lot of that is to do with the fact that COVID 19 is is dominating the airwaves or every bit of print media, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, to the nth degree. So that there isn't really a room for any other conversation to take place at the moment. And from another aspect like for us it's it's the the, uh, the focus on sustainability and not single use is more important now because they're finding more disposable masks and gloves in just thrown on the floor we find them all the time walking back to our car after work you know people have just thrown away their masks the disposables um people aren't recycling them they don't know how so this will become a problem so for us we we personally think and i you know talking to our customer base on a day-to-day basis they believe that this is a solution for the future because we have to actually look after the planet and if we keep destroying things like this will carry on happening so something that's sustainable ethical we you know it's mostly locally sourced we support over 51 small businesses so together we are you know having this rise in things i mean we know some complexes that wrap it in plastic on delivery um to protect you which you know, I get everybody has their own opinion, but for us, we, we want to stick to true to our brand. Um, and we will still continue with our reusables and not single use items. So Sam, coronavirus and COVID-19 aside, uh, you, you'd started this business maybe just before all of this started. What was the, the general uptake from uh, the, the shoppers? We actually started, we have a second store. Our first store was opened last year in March in Cedar Square. And then we opened the Morningside branch three weeks before lockdown started. So not the best timing. Um, but in saying that, the response to both stores has been amazing. Even people who are a bit skeptical, they come in, they try one thing. And then every week we see them again, they're adding another item. And then like, say from the Cedar side, we have our regulars coming doing their weekly shop with us in their own containers, their own reusables. Um, and they, they, they're, you know, proud to, to be part of the, the refill revolution as we call it now. Um, but the Morningside, um, you know, group of people, they've been amazing. They, they're very keen on it. Look, lockdown has affected us. Um, but we know that when people feel more comfortable coming out in public, that they will come back because, you know, our product, what we have is 
is unique and it's it's accessible. It's you know well we like to think it's well done. We've got great great high quality products and and we look after our customers. They're very important to us. So every bit of feedback we've taken on board in some way, shape, or form. Well, thank you so much for joining me, uh, Dom and Sam Maletta, owners of the refillery at Morningside Shopping Centre. And if you haven't been there yet and you're looking to venture out, well, you can visit them at the Morningside Shopping Centre or at Cedar Square uh, in the Fourways area and uh, give it a try. Uh, and, you know, it's, uh, you know, if you've been doing a little bit of recycling, I mean, I suppose you've been taking a step in the right direction. And now this is uh, one step further to taking your own plastic bags uh, for shopping. You can now take your own containers and refill them as you wish. Dom and Sam, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having us. Thanks very much. Appreciate it. So, Sabrina, I don't know how that sounds to you. Uh, I mean, I'm big into recycling. Actually, I got into it a couple of years ago. Uh, are you a big recycler? I am as much as I can. I love I love knowing and thinking that I'm doing um, the best that I can. And I mean, the whole plastic-free or packaging-free stuff is a big is a big thing in Cape Town, and I'm really glad that it's finally arrived uh, in Joburgland. I mean, this is going to be a fascinating conversation for people who don't recycle, listening to two people who recycle. But what is it that you recycle? Do you have like little bins? You know, do you go paper plastic or just the big stuff? Or do you go into like detail as well? I'm trying to get better. There's, I mean, at our, at our here in Cape Town, you get your normal refuse uh, pickup truck that comes every Friday in my area. And then every Wednesday, the recycling truck arrives and there you put all your plastic we can put plastic paper and you know aluminium cans all together in one as long as you wash them wash them properly so there's no like food and i just actually see the truck driving past now with all the clear bags uh, and there they take them to you know the recycling pit or whatever else they the recycling factory or whatever the case may be um, but i do try my best and there's also things i called eco bricks oh yeah I try to yeah. make a couple and you can drop them off at a um, a zero packaging like waste-free shop that we've got in Cape Town called Nude Foods and like all that little you don't realize how much plastic we actually generate so the shitty little uh, packages that you uncut when every time you buy a pair of clothing you've got that that plastic thing I try to keep all of that put it into an eco brick and you shove it down and that then apparently is used to you know build houses and then obviously the plastic isn't recycled but it is then used again and it's got a long-term use versus just sitting or floating around in the ocean yeah look i mean the recycling bit initially was quite strenuous i mean i was like oh am i going to be able to do this and it started off with just glass and went down to the local plastic land or whatever the uh, the equivalent is and they had these really cute little uh, four colored uh, i think it was red green blue and yellow bins then started allocating, you know, plastic, tin, paper, and glass. Was it glass? Yeah. Then also got a smaller container for batteries because those are also quite an interesting oh, ones yes. to start recycling. And before you know it, it turns into like a game at home where you're starting to, you know, unpack stuff and you're going, oh, cool, that needs to go into the plastic, that needs to go into the paper. It started just becoming part of the process. And before you knew it, it was actually not that laborious at all. I mean, the next part was trying to get somebody to, to now take these separated bags and, and luckily the city of Joburg also then got to a point where they were like look we're going to start collecting uh, these things separately and then even now uh, we interviewed somebody a couple of weeks ago who had launched this imagined earth uh, technology at Santon City where you can put certain products into 
it's uh, something like they have in Germany where you've got those little holes and then you put it in there and then yeah. it scans the bottle or it scans the barcode and then it starts allocating it to wherever it needs to go and then you get sort of like, I don't know, 10 or 20 cents per item and they credit it to an app on your phone. And I've tried it twice now. Uh, it still needs a little bit of work because it doesn't accept everything. So you end up taking maybe half a garbage bag home because it didn't recognize the Schweppes can or it didn't recognize the Axe can or the whatever can. So and, and wine bottles, it also struggles with quite a bit. I saw there were people who just dumped their boxes of wine bottles outside this thing because they obviously didn't want to take it back. So it still needs a bit of updating on the system. But for most of it, it took quite a few things, especially if it had to have a barcode. And uh, yeah, and, and you know, you know what, you're not going to get rich uh, by doing this, but it's just another sort of, you know, I suppose incentive to, to, to do something good instead of just tossing it away. I think the solutions need to be there. And if you think of human human behavior, if a solution to uh, recycle is easy, then I think there'll be more chance of people to do it. But if it's if it's a loss and I've got to go and, you know, put in extra effort, a lot of people won't the interest to do it. But something like that where you just go and you drop off or now with City of Joburg doing a separate collection for your recycling are just, you know, small steps to make make the whole process a lot more um, possible for a lot of people. Now, once again, this week, we've got an unboxing on YouTube. And it's a, I'm actually not going to tell you what it is because I think uh, that's half the fun. You need to go onto YouTube this week and check out what we're unboxing. Uh, so I'm going to call it a mystery unboxing. And the link will be in the show notes. So if you enjoy unboxings, if you look at, if, you, if you're keen to see what we're going to be taking out of a, a box uh, this week, check that out on, uh, on YouTube. Okay, Sabrina, time for us to check in with the residency group in and around Greater Santon who offer a hotel apartment-style experience. And joining me on the line is Managing Director Pamela Niemant. Hello. Hi, Alex. How's it, Pamela? Listen, how are things going? Yeah, you know, Alex, um, under the circumstances, I think we are very blessed um, with our occupancies. But um, yeah, it's definitely a very difficult time for the hospitality industry. Well, tell us, Pamela, when did you kind of reopen again? When did you get back into business after the initial lockdown? We looked at the situation before the lockdown was even announced. Um, and we took some tips and advice of what happened in other countries. And we decided to go into a lockdown mode before the lockdown was even um, enforced. And we've put together a quarantine team of staff that uh, moved to the building in order to minimize their traveling and the exposure. Um, yeah, so pretty much from the get go, we also had foreigners that were stuck with us who couldn't leave the country, who stayed with us. So we immediately applied for our essential service certificate in order for us to service those um, guests who could not leave to their, their different countries. And of course, we are also apartments. So we do have long term tenants also residing with us at the same time. So, yeah, we've we have been open um, from the very beginning. So what's the situation on the ground right now, Pamela, in terms of, um, you know, operating the three different properties that you have? Who's staying there at the moment? And uh, are you still serving breakfast? How's that all working? So um, at the moment, we, so we've got the three properties, the residency, Jelly Co, which is based in Rosebank, um, also fantastic location. Um, and then we've got the residency Sandhurst, which is close to Sandton City. And then the residency Hurlingham, which is just a few blocks up from um, Sandhurst, which is also just off William Nickel Drive. We very much specialize in corporate stays, business, um, business stays. However, we also do leisure, but um, obviously leisure has been completely cut off. So we haven't had any leisure travelers. 
Um, but we are um, very dynamic because we've got hotel rooms and apartments. So we could, we quickly converted to our our apartment offering, where we've placed long term tenants in into our buildings, um, which have covered our base. Um, and our Sandhurst property for June achieved 80% occupancy. And our residency Jellico for June reached a 50% occupancy. So I must say we are quite blessed and grateful, um, you know, that we've managed to be able to get our team to react swiftly and to just achieve the best possible way of moving forward in this pandemic. Um, and the fact that we are so diverse um, as an apartment hotel, that has definitely given us the edge um, to be able to do that. I suppose you've had to have a, a massive shift in the way you kind of tackle all kinds of things at the hotel from, uh, you know, staff arriving, staff leaving, uh, cleaning the hotel. I mean, all of that must have changed for you as well. Oh, yes, 100% complete change from the very beginning. Um, so like I mentioned, we had our staff um, move into the buildings to be based on the premises so that they don't need to use public transport or be in contact with you know outside people. Um, then we've also um, had a driver who did all the food shopping, um, also offered our tenants and our guests to go do their food shopping so that there's less um, people traveling um, and, you know, less people moving around. And I think this contributed a lot also for our tenants and our guests in-house where that eliminated their need to be able to, or their need to need to go outside and, and possibly, you know, get or spread the virus. So we were very, very firm from the very beginning. And we've also implemented very strict, um, you know, health protocols, um, sanitizing, you know, when you arrive at any of the buildings, your temperature is taken right at the, at the gate. Um, so we've got sanitizer everywhere. We have got schedules where we sanitize all the surfaces. Um, everything gets sanitized all the time. We've done extreme deep cleaning in our buildings um, and we constantly do, do that every week. So um, we're definitely very focused on our hygiene, you know, and this is a, um, you know, one of our goals to ensure that our staff, but all our tenants and our guests are completely safe from the coronavirus. Um, so, yeah, we've been very lucky that we have had zero cases and also zero symptoms of any sort of illness um, amongst in our building. So um, I think our efforts from the very beginning has really showed and, and, and um, paid off. Are you finding that your occupancies are very much also mirrored in terms of the domestic airlines starting to open up now as well? Yes, absolutely. I think that is contributing, um, you know, quite a lot of relief to the hospitality industry that business travelers can commence now. Um, that's really a very positive um, look for us. We can definitely see the movement, um, especially with bookings coming in for July, um, that yeah, it's, it's definitely picking up. I mean, Alex, I'm not saying things are going to turn back to what it was before COVID-19. Um, absolutely not. But um, there's definitely some movement that just gives you a little bit of a positive feel and a positive look out. Um, yeah, that business is slowly returning. What's your outlook for the rest of the year? I mean, I suppose it's a bit of a difficult question to ask. Be interested to hear what your thoughts are. Um, yeah, I think during a time like this, it also indicates to you what innovation can do um, because it kind of puts you in a situation where you need to make changes and innovation is key. So um, I think going forward, we would definitely implement um, systems, um, you know, 
technology where you don't need to touch anything when you check into the front desk you pre-book your your apartment or your hotel room you prepay you get your on your phone you can unlock your door when you arrive at the room so it's completely touchless um, and I think that's where um, you can sort of prevent spread of coronavirus or any any sicknesses or diseases actually if you think about it even your normal flu you'll probably have less of that if you touch less so um, yeah we're definitely using technology as moving forward and and I think in a crisis like this um, marketing strategy is key is to see what markets are out there and to go for them and to attract that market and also you know to um, improve your offering to make it as guest friendly as possible um, and um, my belief in in all my 18 years of operating apartment hotels is the guest experience is the most important part and um, we've always focused on giving our guests the best experience guest service is always number one well, Pamela, it's fascinating catching up with you. And uh, yeah, I'd be interested to hear how things progress over the next couple of months as and when things change, as they do almost on a weekly basis. Thank you so much for making the time. That's uh, Pamela Niemand, uh, Managing Director of uh, The Residency Group. Thank you so much, Alex. Thank you very much. So yeah, that's The Residency. And uh, we're going to be having a competition on our newsletter. So if you subscribe to our newsletter and the link will be on our Twitter feed, on our Facebook feed, even if you go onto the website, it'll be a big yellow banner at the top. If you subscribe to our newsletter, we're going to give away a two-night stay uh, at uh, a one-bedroom apartment at The Residency in Jellicoe, valued at 3,500 rand. So subscribe, get in there, and you might be the lucky winner of a two-night stay. Uh, I suppose once you're, you're able to do so and free to do so, you'll be able to cash in that voucher and uh, yeah, try out uh, uh, apartment hotel living. I mean, uh, Sabrina, when you travel, where do you normally stay? Um, I love the Capital Group, so I'll always stay at the Capital in Melrose Arch. It's like a little, you know, a treat when I get to go up to Joburg for two or three nights for work. I'm by myself. I've got my hotel room. I've got my Netflix and I can do what I want. I eat pizza in bed. It's a, it's a very big thing for me. I get to have a bath because, you know, here with um, day-to-day living, you don't really get that, like, you know, self-care when you're completely alone. And that's really like my little guilty pleasure when I get to travel to Joburg. But essentially what you're saying is, is that you, you actually prefer staying sort of in an apartment, self-catering kind of vibe versus sort of a traditional hotel room. Yeah, especially if you, um, you know, want to heat something up in a microwave and not have to always go out and buy food that you like especially being plant-based it's really difficult to oftentimes get stuff that is you know suitable to my um to my dietary requirements so i find it much easier to have my own ability to make some food and then obviously with Melrose arch being around the corner that's it's it's quick and easy just to go in and out from there uh now sabrina we started the episode chatting about this uh this food venture this uh, side hustle that you kicked off with your um, plant-based food i know you've literally just come out of the starting blocks with it but i'm sure there's a lot of people interested and having the same challenges that you have which is trying to find really good plant-based food tell us a little bit more about your your uh, your food venture well, I've been, like we all, I've been eating food my entire life and loving it. And about four years, almost three years ago, I came across the documentary on Netflix called What the Health. Back then I would eat. Um, I've never really not eaten anything besides red peppers, which is strange. But, I mean, I was a, a big carnivore, always thought meat and two veg was the ultimate thing. Watched this documentary the next day, thought I'd do a two-week experiment with my body and see 
by cutting out meat and all animal products, how I would feel. Uh, within the first three months, I lost eight kilograms. I haven't been able to put it back on. Physically can't put on weight, eating just plants. And I've never felt healthier. My blood work is amazing. And it's actually made me more creative in the kitchen because you have to think a little bit more when you want to create something um, delicious looking. Not only plants are delicious, but um, enticing to the eye. And uh, started a small little Instagram account called Beaner's Kitchen because you know I love to I love to cook and I love to show people what I make. And just this week have offered you know catering services to you know the Atlantic Seaboard and City Bowl in Cape Town. And yesterday was my second day, and we sold out, which is great. And so you it's a little side hustle. You have like a sort of a set menu for the week, and then people can kind of order from you, and then you deliver it. Yeah. Or they can come and collect. I don't obviously cater every day because it is just me um, and I've got my other business to run. But like Tuesday, Thursday and Friday, I'll make something. I'll send it out to my database of people that have shown interest. And people are like, yeah, I'll take two. I'll take four. Please make me six because I want to freeze for the rest of the week. And I make it. I deliver it. Or they come collect. And so far, I've had shining reviews. So tell me, what's on the menu? I mean, what what kind of stuff can people uh, get? Yesterday was, uh, you know, a vegan cottage pie made with something called TVP, which is texturized vegetable protein. For lack of a better word, it is uh, soya-based, soya chunks. So they take the fat out of um, out of the soya beans and create this very high-protein dehydrated chunk that then you, you put in. And from a texture, a texture and look and visual base, you cannot tell that it's not mince. The flavor is obviously not exactly like mince. But there, a little cottage pie. On Friday, I'm making massive wheels that feed six of vegan spanakopita, which is basically, you're just not using ricotta, you're using tofu. And I made it last week, and it's it's divine. You you really don't miss miss the meat when you know what to do with um, you know acidity and salt. Well, Sabrina, it sounds incredible. And I think if you're down in Cape Town, check out uh, Sabrina's Instagram account. It's what? Beaners Kitchen? At Beaners Kitchen? At Beaners.Kitchen. At Beaners.Kitchen. And uh, yeah, give it a try. I mean, I'm, it, it looks incredible, uh, Sabrina, uh, when I look at the Thank pictures. You. And I'm sure it tastes equally as good. So I encourage people to, to check that out, try it out. And you might find a new, even if it's a meat-free Monday, even if you kick yeah. off with that. And uh, who knows? You might fall into it uh, quicker than you think. Sabrina, it's been so cool having you on the on this episode and being part of the show for today. And uh, thank you to you for listening and uh, being part of the Santon Times podcast. If you want to get in touch, don't forget that you can email editor at santontimes.co.za. You can connect with the Santon Times on uh, social media, whichever one you prefer, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, TikTok, uh, whichever one it is. Then you can go onto the blog, santontimes.co.za, and you can subscribe, share, and leave a review or rating of this podcast on Apple Spotify, Anchor, or SoundCloud. If you want to support the Santon Times podcast directly, you can visit soundcloud.com forward slash Santon Times. You can click on the big blue support Santon Times button and help us keep doing what we do during these ever-changing times. So thank you to my guests. Thank you to you, Sabrina. And here we go, another week in South Africa uh, in another phase of lockdown. Stay warm and stay safe. (music) 